wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm, and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. The Slighter Agency on Main Street in Margaretville, a neighborhood independent insurance agency educating consumers about insurance decisions after a life-changing event, such as a marriage, divorce, death, a job-related change in benefits, and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5. More information at 845-586-2641 or sliteragency.com. Rockland Cider Works, upstate in Gilboa, an agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. New York State produced beer, wine, spirits, and gluten-free hard cider made from New York State apples and live music throughout December. Rockland Cider Works, upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. Details at rocklandciderworks.com. Hello, this is Irene Swedell. You may not know me, but I barely know myself. But WIUX Roxbury asked me to ask you to give money to station at end of year. It's very, very important for uh, your community radio station. It got electric bill. It got licensing costs. Um, it's all volunteer otherwise, but your donation helped keep it in really good shape for the next 20 hundred years or so easy to do just go woxradio.org uh, press button that says donate thank you nastrovia Listening to WIOX Community Radio live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the SUNY campus, Delhi, there and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good. 
What have you been up to? Well, I had a good Christmas with friends and family. That yeah. Nice. No snow. No, no snow, huh? Nothing. No, happens. It was a green Christmas. Yeah, well, <laughs> Santa Claus deliver or what? Oh, yeah. I got got a couple things. <laughs> yeah, no, I was busy at my house, but um, I don't know. I'm sure the tree will come down tomorrow, and uh, you know, the kids are happy. Santa delivered in a big way. But um, tonight, we are talking about fishing on the East Branch, Delaware, with Peter Marks. He's an avid fisherman, member of the Ashokan Papatan chapter of Trout Unlimited, also the federal affairs contractor for the Choose Clean Water Coalition on the Chesapeake and Coalition for the Delaware River Watershed. He assists the coalition with federal affairs, working with both Congress and administration. Spent 20 years at the EPA in both the Chesapeake Bay Program Office and headquarters in Washington. He was a staff member on the former Committee on Merchant Marine and Fisheries in the U.S. House of Representatives for four years. He's helped author several pieces of coastal legislation that became law. He's also earned a master's degree in geography and marine affairs from the University of Rhode Island. He lives on Broad Creek, tributary to the South River in Chesapeake Bay near Annapolis, Maryland. But he also has a cabin on the Batavia Kill near Denver, New York. That's in Delaware County. So uh, how's it going? How you doing, Peter? Thanks for coming. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. Um, always happy to be in the Catskills, my favorite place on earth. Is that right? It is. And you were saying before you moved there, 2010? Well, I don't live here year-round, but I bought my cabin yep, in 2010. But I've been coming up here my whole life. My father's family's from Fleischmann's, and the family house on Main Street in Fleischmann's is still in the family. and It's always kind of been our place. Yeah. What, 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 what sticks out to you about the Catskills so much? Why do you keep coming back? Well, for me, it's, you know, it's like the best nostalgic days of my life. We'd always come up here for... Um, holiday weekends in the summer and hang with family and I would go fishing um, and this is where I started fishing and this is where I continue to fish it's a little bit of heaven for me yeah and a little background um, we had Ed, Ed Ostopchuk from the Trout yep. Unlimited on not too long ago he talked mainly about the Esopus right and um, so we're like, yeah, you should get someone on there to talk about the East Branch and the Delaware in general. So just a little background. What were you say, Zane? Uh, I was going to ask if uh, your dad taught you to fish or you just picked it up on your own? No, my dad taught me to fish. I think it was uh, it was a bonding thing for both of us. I think he was really glad I took to it. And every time we'd come up here, I'd be like just pulling at his shirt going, Dad, Dad, come on, let's go fishing, let's go fishing. And he was happy to go. I was really happy to go. So, uh we go out all day and go fishing. He'd take me someplace where I could dunk a worm and catch a sunfish or a bass or a pickerel or every once in a while a trout. Um, but it was just, I was I was a fanatic pretty early on. No kidding. Um, so that, you've been fishing for quite some time. Any Anything that really sticks out to you since then that's changed the most, do you think? Up here? Or, yeah, or not, maybe it hasn't changed. Um, I, th I think there's a lot that's changed. Um, I think a lot for the good and a lot for the worse. But, uh, I mean, as far as, you know, I mean, I, when, when I was a little kid, like going to Fleischmann's, and this place was, it was a hopping little town, which yeah. if you've been to Fleischmann's now, you know it's not anymore, although they're trying to make a comeback. But there were a lot more people that were up here, especially in the summer. 
I would think so. Yeah. It was it was it was crazy. Um, How so? Like more hotels or something? Or? Yeah, more hotels. I mean, when I was a little kid, Fleischmann's had two grocery stores and no. it's like a fish store, a knife sharpening store. There were any kind of business you wanted because people like lived here for the summer, so they had everything. Um, yeah. So there were there were a lot more people. There were a lot more people fishing. Um, I mean, I remember where where Hannah's is now it used to be the Cass Inn, which was down on the river. And the hotel was there, the restaurant was there, and there were people used to do fishing vacations. They'd come up and fish there. It was a really popular spot. Um, you don't have that anymore, but by the same token, I mean, to me, there are a lot more places that are legally accessible now. I know there's a, it's a double-edged sword with New York City watershed and um, New York City land, but they bought up a lot of land that's now accessible, um, you know, if you have one of their permits, to go and fish, places that... I never fished when I was a kid. You just couldn't get to them. Um, I think there's a lot more access. Um, you know, as we were talking earlier, yeah. especially since COVID, there's a lot more people out here now fishing and doing everything outside. Um, you know, but also when I was a kid, they used to uh, they used to stock all the streams. I, I shouldn't say all the streams, but most of them. They stocked trout in the Bushkill and Fleischmann's, Batavia Kill. Um, of course, the East Branch, I think the Platykill got stocked. They stopped stocking those side streams years ago, which to me, as someone who's an aficionado of wild trout, much better off not having those hatchery fish mixing yeah. in with wild fish. Um, and these are self-sustaining populations, and they're still pretty healthy. Yeah. Do you know when a lot of the, uh, by any chance, when a lot of that stocking occurred? When it did? Yeah. I don't know either. Like uh, I know in the late 1800s, you know, brown trout was starting to be stopped in, throughout New York State, but I don't know when it really started in a big way. I don't remember. Yeah, I just yeah. know when I was a little kid, they just they, they used to stock prior to opening day. You know, yeah. April 1st, um, sometime in March, I guess the trucks used to go around and stock streams, and it was pretty popular. You know, back then, I mean, I grew up. My father taught me to fish, and we fished all the time together. But any fish that you caught that was legal, he kept. It was just the mindset, and a lot of people had that mindset. It was just, even if you weren't quite sure, you know, you were staying at a place that didn't have a kitchen, but darn it, I'm keeping that fish because I caught it. And, um, and I think a lot of people didn't. And, you know, the hatchery fish, the stock fish kind of played to that. People caught a lot of fish and kept them and had a stringer and did a fish fry. And I ate a lot of trout growing up. Um, but these days... I just much rather catch them, give them a fat lip, and throw them back than throw them in a pan. Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. Um, As a fisherman nowadays, is there things that uh, your dad taught you that you no longer do or don't find uh, useful or helpful at all? No, my my dad did everything. I mean, he you know taught me to fish with worms to start, but often he gave me a fly rod and said, you know, use it with worms now, but then... I'm going to teach you to fly fish and did, and then I would use spinning tackle, which he taught me to do. And he was, I mean, always teaching you different ways and places to go and how to approach fish in the water. And I think that pretty much all the lessons I got from my father are still relevant now, other than I throw fish back. Mm -hmm. Fish back, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't throw fish back. Just not not there yet. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy, I just don't catch as many then, you know? <laughs> if I, if, sometimes I go down the stream and I catch two, and I'm oh, well, damn, I'm done. Yeah, it used, to, day. used to be when I was a kid, We, I mean, it was your it was your prize to show off to people. You know, you'd open your creel and say, hey, look what I got. I've got these eight trout here. And, yeah. um, you know, it was more the showing it off mm. was as, you know, the highlight. Now I've got a phone in my pocket that has a camera. And just do a quick photo op and throw them back in, and I can still show off what I caught. <laughs> yeah. And maybe catch them again you know, next year. So what are you looking for in a stream when you're looking to fish on the east branch or a tributary thereof? What makes you be like, yeah, okay, I'll go, go fish there. Well, you know, it's <laughs> around here, you know, Fleischman's, Marketville, Roxbury. I know all these streams so well. There are very few places that have a surprise for me, although there's yeah. nothing better than being able to fish a stretch of stream that you never fished before yeah. and not knowing what's around the bend. Um, I mean, I, I personally love the little streams here that have waterfalls, and you get to fish the waterfalls and the pools at the bottom, and sometimes there's some little falls halfway, and you get to hike up them, and um, a lot of them are brook trout streams, and I, I mean, just to me, that's just awesome. And every once in a while, come across a stretch that used to be posted, and now it's not, or, you know, it's New York City or DE State, DEC, bought the land, and it's open to the public, and... God, the first time, first couple of times you get to do that when you're not quite sure what you're going to see around the bend and what the next pool is. And mm. of course, you're looking for pools. Um, you know, pools are always beautiful, although that's not always the place where you'll catch fish. But um, just, I, I mean, almost all the stream. I shouldn't say almost all. I would say every single stream within a 35 mile radius of here has trout in them. So yeah. they all do. Yeah, and you're mainly going for brown trout and brook trout, or yeah, browns and brookies. Yeah. Um, there are more and more rainbows here. When I was a kid, never caught a rainbow, um, other than the in the Asopus, which had a lot of rainbows coming up from the from the reservoir. I think from the Ashokan, um, there were it was just brookies and browns. That was it. Over time, now I catch more and more rainbows, especially in the East Branch, in the Bushkill by Fleischmann's. Um, mostly those two places, not a lot of other places, but they're starting to catch them a little bit more here and there. But um, a, a rainbow yeah, in these branches just pretty common these days. And sometimes they're decent size. Mm. Yeah, you caught them up to close to 20 inches. It wasn't common in the past? Too? No, it was, it was unusual. I had, when I was a kid, I used to, I was such a fanatic, I used to keep a log of all the trout I caught um, and I found that a few years ago and uh, I went back through the log and I put what I caught it on when um, the size of the fish and the kind and I went back through I had one rainbow that I caught over a three-year period and there was a there were a lot of fish logged in and there was a one rainbow all the others were mostly browns but a fair amount of brookies um, I think back then I think they used to stock brookies in some of the streams too because yeah. I remember catching a lot of brookies in the East Branch and also the Bushkill and Fleischmann's, um, but I don't think they were native wild fish. Yeah, that could be, I wonder, you know. I mean, because there's a certain width, you would think, where a stream is just too wide and warms up, and it's never just going to hold that yeah, it's, many it's, bird trout. You know? it's, it's the warmth, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the tree can only cover so much stream at some point, you know. It's just going to warm up, you would think. 
I don't know. When I used to paint a boundary line for the state, it, it's very common to come across an old hatchery. That's why I was asking before. It's mm. like there's so many more hatcheries. I can say that's true in the Catskills at one time, and they're everywhere. By private hatcheries? Yeah, I don't mm. know. Some private, some state. I don't know who owned them, but um, like for example, there's one right on Huckleberry Hill. Right. Yeah, that's the old state one. Yeah. Yeah, there's that one, and then you know you'd be down in Cuddybackville, Forestburg. There's one there, or not Forestburg, Cuddybackville. And, um, yeah, they're just, they're all over. There's how many hatchery roads there are in Shandavin. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. of them. There's a lot more. You start thinking about it. Yep. Um, but there's, like, one. I just went by it today. I went up Alder Creek. I always think of excuses to come back across Mountain Road from the Beaver Kill. And uh, that's the only one I know of. Hmm. It's a big deal. But, so, what else? Is there anything about the the, um, the, the geology that, that you think lends itself to the Catskills being good for trout or, or anything else? What do you, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a geologist, but I'm assuming there must be, but you know, it's <laughs> I, I kind of, you mentioned before about the uh, you know, land being protected here by New York City for different reasons, but I think there's there are reasons why New York City located their reservoirs here for war supply. Um, there's a lot of clear, cold, and plentiful water. Um, yeah. It's here, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is an area that they targeted for that. And trout love clear, cold, plentiful water, so it's a it's a nice yeah. little match. Yeah, I always thought too that just the way the geology was, you get those. I feel like you get bigger, flatter pools, like when I, than the greens, yeah. And the uh, the whites, the whites, the rock is so much harder than ours. That granite. You get more V-shaped notches. My friend is from New England pointed that out, how the Catskills have really excavated hollows. Like our hollows are really deep because the rock is yeah. weak. I mean, you're in one hollow. It's like its own world. Whereas, like I was saying, the whites, he's right. They're just more V-shaped. They don't, you don't get, you get a lot, you don't get the pools like you do. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we do have, yeah, especially the smaller streams. I mean, the pools, and they're just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, they're not that big. The, no, but like they're the streams. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The pools are. But but you'll have some yeah decent long pools. Yeah, they're really nice. Are you gonna say something there, Zane? Well, I mean, we could talk about like what what makes a really uh, troutable stream. Like, what does a healthy stream look like for you? Uh, where you know there's going to be trout. You're looking for those pools. You're looking for the pools. You you want to have you know one of the most important things for streams and trout is cover having riparian cover trees mostly i mean you know the deeper the further upstream you go into the you know more mature forest generally the water's clearer and colder yeah those um, hemlock trees yeah providing nice shade yep um you know the east branch from hawkettville and even from roxbury all the way down to marketville you know it's a lot more open there's a lot of open area um some other issues with the with the river there that causes the water to get warmer, which is really bad for trout, especially in the summer. Mm. Uh, you don't have those trees that's blocking the sun and you know keeping it a little bit cooler. Right. So, how about debris, logs, and and uh, things getting cl- clogged in the stream? Is that good or bad? That's uh, great habitat for fish. Yeah. yeah, trout trout like cover. So I mean, all fish like cover. They uh, yeah. you know they have. Uh, Things in the middle of the Atlantic that floating debris, and that's where fishermen fish because there'll be 
There'd be pelagic fish underneath them, just right. just a little bit of structure. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah that's where I go. I don't know. So You don't I'm, want a pipe is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So I'm just getting into fishing now. What's the best time of year for fishing for you? I mean, it all depends on what you're going for. It also depends on the conditions, which are going to differ every year. Like last year was, this past year, 2023, was one of the oddest years here in that it was pretty much an, ex I wouldn't say an extreme drought, but it was a drought the mm -hmm. first half of the season. Yeah. And water by June, I think, the streams were really low, like the lowest I remember seeing them in a while, that early in the year. Yeah. And thinking, God, by the end of the summer, some of these streams, they get bone dry. Um, some of the streams are really odd. You can go by them and see not a drop of water in it. Um, and then you go downstream a mile, and the stream is flowing. Somehow it gets spring-fed, but yeah. um, but that's not good for fish. Um, fish need water, um, <laughs> and they need flowing water, and they need oxygen, and they need it to be cold enough. Um, but then through the course of the summer last year, then we got a lot of rain and a lot more water. Um and that cools things off. You don't have to be as careful. Like, I carry a thermometer with me when I mm -hmm. go trout fishing yeah. and make sure that the stream, because like 70 degrees a little bit, you know, give or take, it's kind of a threshold for just terminal conditions for trout. Um, I mean, for brown trout, brook trout needs to be even colder. Um, and if you, even if you're going to do catch and release, you're going to catch these fish and throw them back, they get so stressed out if the water is too warm that often it can be fatal for them. So um, I don't fish. Uh, but last last year, as we hit June, I was thinking, God, it's gonna, fishing is going to be horrible here in July, August, and September because it's going to be so low and so warm. Then we got a lot of rain, and the streams came up, and um, fishing I thought was great um, this past late summer and fall. Mm -hmm. If yeah. the drought continued, it wouldn't have been. So you never know. For me... Um, I mean, I always used to, until a few years ago, there were trout fishing in New York. Opening day was April 1st. Um, around here, you had to stop fishing on April, I mean, on September 30th. Statewide was October 15th, but um, above the, um, the Pecton Reservoir and above the Cannonsville Reservoir on the West Branch, you had to stop fishing on September 30th. You couldn't fish anymore. Um, and now... They've extended it so you can do catch and release year-round. Um, so I always used to be real antsy. In the spring, you couldn't fish before April 1st, so it was like April 1st, got to get out there and fish. Yeah. And get up here you know, in early April, yeah. water was really high. You had all the snow, you know, snow melt runoff, um, really high, really cold. Conditions were horrible. Fish are cold water or, or cold-blooded, so they're not moving a lot when it's that cold. And... Uh, it was often kind of brutal fishing. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but and I'll still do it again. Uh, but at least now, like the past couple of years, I've actually fished here in March and um, didn't do all that well because it was still really cold and really high. But uh, it's been awesome to be able to get out there and fish before April 1st and after September 30th for, for me. You can't keep fish, but yeah. that's fine with me. You can't keep trout. So... You fish below the dam, or mostly above the Patton Dam, or almost all above. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll hack around below the dam, but I've yeah. never fished below the dam on the river. Yeah, I've never done much. 
Yeah. But yeah, this is this is my home territory. Right. This is where I grew up fishing. It's, you know, where my cabin is up here, and this is definitely my preference. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is fishing on the East Branch, Delaware, with Peter Marks. So, Peter, how would you say uh, the health of the East Branch? I know you wanted to go into a, a five-year temperature study in Halkettsville. Yeah. Um, so a few years ago, it, I saw kind of, kind of the old days when we had the uh, Catsco Mountain News here, um, which is really kind of a shame that yeah. you know we've lost that local paper here, which is a problem across the country. Um, but there was a letter to the editor um, from a local guy, Lenny Millen, who I think you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and just to go, to go, and it was about the conditions in the East Branch, Delaware. And he said, well, Waka Lake in Hawkettville um, has, you know, had sedimentation come in over the past century. And in the summer, it gets really warm. And because of that, it, the water that comes over the dam in Hawkettville from there down to the Pepecton gets really warm, and it's impacting the trout fishery. And I never really thought about it until I saw that letter to the editor. And it also made me go back and think, because I always, when I was a kid, my father used to take me to Wawaka Lake in Hawkettville and used to fish from the shoreline there and used to catch loads of smallmouth bass and pickerel and nice ones. Um, and over the years, every once in a while, I would stop there, kind of nostalgia to fish, and rarely got anything. And kind of, kind of put two to two together. Lenny's letter about this, the lake, you know, filling, filling with sediment and getting shallower. So in the summer, the sun heats it up. And anyway, I got in touch with him, and uh, we uh, looked to try and fix this problem, or at least try and address it. And yeah. um, through our Trout Unlimited chapter, the Shokin. Um, Pepecton Watershed chapter um, got in touch with uh, somebody at Trout Unlimited who's an expert in doing this kind of stuff and she was like well that's you know that's a great theory but you know you can't do anything just based on a theory you gotta we, we need some evidence so we she helped us do this study where we got these temperature loggers and put them in and we uh, kind of did a scientific Study we had um, started with a dozen loggers and wound up with 20 of these little temperature loggers. A uh, good friend of mine who um, worked at IBM, he was our, our IT guy, and he set these things up, and he designed a thing for putting them in the bottom of the stream. And for five years, we had these set spots starting. Is that um, Dave? No, it was no. Tracy, Tracy Brown. All okay. right. <laughs> uh, and George Marcos was the uh, our IT specialist. Oh, um, wow. All right. George and I met in seventh grade in junior high in uh, in New Jersey, and um, we've been friends ever since. And um, bonded over him coming up here when we were, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen, and camping up here and borrowing my cousin's bicycles and using the bikes to go fish. <laughs> and uh, we've we've kind of advanced from bikes yeah. to cars and from camping to right. uh, to a cabin, but. Uh, <laughs> Still do a lot of the same stuff we used to do. Um, we're a little more responsible on some of the stuff. But right. um, anyway, the uh, five years that we did, five years of this, these were putting these loggers in. It was kind of an adventure. I mean, putting these suckers in the stream and then then coming back four months later and having to find them where they were because they were in the you had to hammer them into the bottom of the stream. Oh, wow. But uh, there was pretty clear results. So we did them from the Route 30 bridge in Roxbury, right up the road from here, 
Um, that was the uppermost part that we did all the way down to past Hannah's Golf Course, the, on downstream side of the Route 30 bridge there. And uh, over five years, so it was a long enough period of time where, you know, you, you can um, adjust for, you know, higher flows or lower flows because each year differs. And there was clearly a three to five degree difference above Wawaka Lake in Hawkettville from below it. The water on the East Branch from Roxbury to Hawkettville was about three to five degrees colder. Yeah. Then it came out of that, over that dam or around it, um, and it was impaired, and it still is. And three to five degrees in the summer is really critical kind of threshold for, for trout, and it's, uh, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. There are a few springs there. There are a few small streams that come in, and those are little thermal refuges for the trout. They tend to congregate where those things come in, and they're, they get very stressed out. So it would be expensive, but you could dredge it, I guess. There's, um, there was some money that was, uh, there was a grant that Trout Unlimited got, and they're doing some research right now to figure out um, with the landowner what they can do in dredging. Some, some experimental um, techniques on dredging is being looked at and some other things. And maybe, I mean, you know, ultimately the, the perfect scenario would be to somehow notch that dam and, um, have that come out, but that you know, the the pond has been there. The dam is privately owned, and the pond is, and um, no one's inclined to take that out at this point. No, and I so would think, as a landowner, if I was in his shoes, I would think that would not be an option because how the hell would you get the dam back with the DEC the way they are now, permitting and stuff? You can't like you're not that thing. They're they're trying to take out all the dams. Right, right. No, this would not be. Yeah, <laughs> no, nobody takes out a dam and puts it back. It's no. yeah. Uh, yeah, it's per permanent removal yeah, or I would permanent that notching. Was a, that was a mill at one time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. A mill yeah. pond. Is yep. that lake, has the... Uh, and and they, used, they used to cut ice from that lake. There was right. a... Huh. If you... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the opposite side from that little road that goes around it where you're at lake level, the opposite side, there's a big concrete bulkhead that comes in. That was where the ice house was. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because mill ponds could be, it could be good if they're deep enough and healthy enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the biggest brick I ever caught were over mill ponds. Yeah. But I don't know. But like you said, if it's been filling in for yeah 100 plus years. Yeah, know? which is why it's not even that good for bass and pickerel anymore. Huh. Do you know how much it's filled in? Like, I don't. Much? I don't know how yeah how deep it was at could any be. point. And yeah, when I was a little kid fishing there, it's just nothing like that ever crossed your mind. You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. But you can see it sometimes in low water, like this past June when it was really low, just a stream coming through there because it's all muck. So yeah. it, it's unhealthy for trout. Is it? Is it in other ways beneficial to other types of uh, stream creatures? Not that I'm uh, aware of. Yeah, yeah sedimentation is usually not good. Yeah, it's, I mean the reservoir battles that, but they're just bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. So the only real yeah. solution is to dredge it, try and get a lot of that sediment out, make it a little bit deeper, a little bit cooler. Yeah, or, you know, if the, if the dam was removed or notched, mm -hmm. it would wash down. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Lake Switzerland um, in Fleischmann's, which they took, they notched that, or they pretty much dismantled that dam. I guess it was 96 when they had the big flood and they were thought the whole town might get flooded out. Mm -hmm. And uh, that lake is... You, you could still tell there was a lake there because it was 
like a lot of uh, man-made structures around it. Yeah. But uh, but streams come back. It's just naturalized. It got all the sediment out and slowly washed it away. And yeah, those systems restore themselves over time. Honk Lake is like that in Appanock. Uh, near Ellenville, they they took that dam out on the Rondout. Hmm. So that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing it all over the country. I mean, it's yeah. You know, some sometimes they're doing it for anadromous fish, for salmon's big thing. Huh. Um, and there are trout. A lot of brown trout come up from the reservoir in the fall, and uh, they, they can jump though, and they they do jump over that dam. And the owner there does um, remove a board that he has there to enable spawning trout to go up a little easier. Yeah, right. Um, but they they swim through there. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you read these old studies before the reservoir, and I guess the shad used to go up the East Branch. Yeah, yeah. How would that change things? I have no idea. I don't know. Having yeah. shad in the Delaware, what would that do? I mean, their shad, they evidently come up to Downsville. Um, yeah. And there's a... Eel. Um, pardon? Eel. Go up the... Yeah. Eel go up the um, beaver kill. Yeah. Well, there's a guy um, down in Hancock, um, Ray Turner, who just stopped doing it, but he, every year, put in an eel weir yeah. by hand. He would catch American eels, and he would smoke them. Yeah. He has a smokehouse. Wow. Um, Remember that. He's, he's still there doing it, but he's not doing the eels anymore. Just He's a one-man show, and it's a, it was back-breaking work. But so he's in Hancock, and he's also showed me he's caught some striped bass there because they probably followed shad up. Or the eels. Um, yeah. So all these fish, they came up that far, and shad still bounce up against uh, the dam in Downsville. Right. And uh, all the bald eagles congregate there certain times of year, too, to feed on them. I bet. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is fishing on the East Branch, Delaware, with Peter Marks. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back.
you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, we're talking about fishing on the East Branch, Delaware, with Peter Marks. Um, Peter, did you want to go into any federal legislation and funding for the Delaware watershed? We kind of talked briefly about it at the beginning, introduced sure. you, but you know, tell, tell people what you do when you're not up here in Denver. Um, enjoying the fruits of my labor is what I do when I'm up here. Um, so one of the things I'm working on, so through the Coalition for the Delaware River Watershed, and this is a coalition of about 200 different groups from this area here, from the headwaters of the Delaware, um, all the way down to Delaware Bay. And um, some are national groups like Trout Unlimited, National Wildlife Federation, and some are um, statewide groups. Some are just small little regional groups. Um, everybody has a different interest. Some of them, um, you know, just care about the headwaters and trout fishing. Some of them just care about Delaware Bay and crabbing. Um, but everyone has an you know, has a stake in um, protecting what we have and restoring what we've lost and maintaining water quality. And that's a big part of what I'm working on. So back in 2016, Congress passed legislation called the Delaware River Basin Conservation Act, which is a mouthful. Um, but what it did was set up a program through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and it provides money for groups to do all kinds of restoration activities around here. Um, one little thing that was it was funded through this was some of the work to do this, the study on Owaka Lake to see if there's some kind of innovative dredging that can be done. Just part of a little little bit of a grant that went to Trout Unlimited, um, and that's what they're looking at. So it's things like that, you know, further down, it's for mussel restoration, for wetlands protection and restoration, just an array of things. Also for getting access for people to um, to the river and to the tributaries. Um, anyway, this bill passed in 2016, and one thing that I do is you, you Congress passes legislation and says there, there shall be a grant program, and grants will be given out for this kind of work. But there's not any money attached to it, so then you have to go to Congress and through the what's called the appropriations process and i'm not going to go into a lot of detail but whenever they shut down the government yeah. um it's all over the appropriations it's all over the funding hmm. so every year congress has to fund the entire federal government and um this tiny little program um right now it's at 11.5 million dollars which which is a significant amount of money but in the scheme of the federal budget it's a small small program um, but one of the things I do is work with the members of Congress and their staff from this area in New York all the way down to Delaware, and that includes Pennsylvania, includes New Jersey, and a little bit of Maryland is even in the Delaware River watershed, and trying to convince them that this is really important for your constituents and for your district or for your state, and we want to get a little bit more funding so that um, these grants can go out and people can do all this restoration work that that is necessary and there's a huge backlog of work that needs to be done um it you know it gets kind of endless a lot of it's putting in riparian forest buffers or different kinds of buffers um throughout the entire length of the watershed so that's one of the things and now that original legislation has expired so one of the other things i'm working on this year is to try and get that legislation that program the delaware river basin conservation act what's called reauthorized by congress so a number of members of Congress 
um, are working really hard to try and get that passed through um, through the House and Senate. Now in 2024, we got it passed through the House last year in 2022, but it didn't make it uh, in, through the Senate at the last minute. So we had to start all over again this this year. And Congress goes on two year terms. So we're uh, we're hopeful that in 2024 we may get it over the finish line and increase funding for this program too. We're um, we have one bill in the House. We have funding increase from 11.5 million to 15.5 million. So we're hopeful, keeping our fingers crossed, that maybe that higher number will prevail at the end of the year and uh, be able to get some more funding in for a lot of just the uh, the list of projects that are really good but just didn't have enough funding to cover is extensive. So there's there's no lack of work and no lack of expertise and groups willing to do it. So just need to get the funding in order to do it and that's one of the, one of the big things I'm working on. Is this on is this on private land or public land? Or it can be both? it can be both or either. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, and um tree planting any do you know like what that entails exactly? I, I mean it differs from yeah. place to place. Um you know just a little example what our Trout Unlimited chapter did through our work in doing those loggers and the temperature study on the East Branch. Yeah. Our restoration leader, Tracy Brown, through Trout Unlimited, she, she's an expert on this stuff. And when we were doing the study, it was becoming clear that temperature was an issue. So she said, you know, whether the dam stays or there's um, dredging behind it or not, one thing we know is we need more trees. Um, you need to cool this water off. So yeah. um, she started leading some tree plantings. We did... I think we did six or seven different tree plantings along the East Branch and uh, put in somewhere around 1,500 um, riparian trees and um, shrubs. It's going to take a while for them to really provide shade, but um, all that stuff, you know, needs to happen. And that's that's happening throughout the entire Delaware Basin, all the way all the way downstream. Yeah. What are the challenges there? I know you have to tube them because of deer. Right. Yeah. Um, we were tubing them. A lot of other competing vegetation. We were talking about knotweed uh, before the show, and um, I've been seeing a lot of that on the Batavia uh, myself. And I'm just curious to know what it affects water quality or uh, just the, the knotweed. Yeah, knotweed. Yeah, we. I mean, I, I'm I'm not an expert. My, my guess is it's more just a barrier for people. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean it is riparian vegetation. I think the the worst thing is it 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 outcompetes other vegetation mm -hmm. that's more beneficial that may provide year-round shade and also habitat for birds and other critters and not we just is not great habitat. I think there are a few a few species that utilize it but a lot don't. Yeah. Yeah. Any studies on predation that that you have heard about? No. No. Yeah, but, it's not there. But uh, yeah, I, I know it's a it's an issue you brought up a couple of times, Ryan. But just uh, and anecdotally, this is yeah. my anecdote. Um, you know, going back to you were talking about you know comparing the fishing from when I was a kid here. Um, one thing, when I was a kid here, you never saw a bald eagle. That's right. Um, I never saw a bear. Um, yeah. I remember the first time I saw a bear, it was like a big to-do, and now, pretty mm -hmm. common. Even deer, I mean, deer were, there was certainly a lot of deer around, but not yeah. like now. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And bald eagles are here in numbers because there's a lot of fish. Um, and yeah. I, I, when I'm fishing on a stream, it's, when I was here last month, I was uh, uh, fishing a stream, and I, I, I was competing with bald eagles because there were a couple of them, and um, and I often will curse them out, or especially mergansers, because you stumble on them. And, of course, they take off and go upstream, which is the direction I'm fishing. Um, so they kind of ruin the fishing. Yeah. Hmm. I'm cursing them out because they're ruining my next half hour. But I love that they're here. Yeah. Um, and to me, having all these mergansers, having these bald eagles, it's a great sign that the ecosystem is doing okay. Yeah, I just wonder. I mean, you know, there's bald eagles, there's um, otter, there's mink, there's, um, you said mergansers, did I say that already? Blue heron. Um, Ospreys, don't forget them. People used to kill them on site. Yeah. (laughs) When you had a farming culture in the area. And not that I would advocate that, but, you know, there's always a trade-off, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I actually don't see it as a trade-off. I see it as, to me, I mean, it's... I go fishing, and the reason I love fishing up here and all these streams is it's what you see, and it's it's the interactions you have with the world around you, and um, it's really cool to me when you see wildlife on the stream. Um, sometimes they're after the same thing I am, so it's you know ticks you off a little bit that they're uh, bald eagles catching a trout that I wanted to catch, but I yeah. appreciate that they're. they're they're there, and I see them. Um, and I, I want them to st- still be here. Right. I just don't yeah. want them to be right where I am when I'm fishing. But <laughs> yeah, no, I just it's just something I've I've always gone after brook trout, and um, on the headwater streams, you know, I've I've never fished the reservoir once yet. I'm not saying one shouldn't. I just haven't. It's just not what I'm into. And I always figure there should be more trout. You know, I mean, the acid rain has gone down. There's a lot of studies of that, Frost Valley, where I used to work, YMCA there. And um, the, the forests have come back. And you read these 19th century people that they'd catch 40 fish. You know, it wasn't the, they never knew the length. They were just no numbers. It's like, yeah, so-and-so went out on the upper beaver kill and caught, you know, 40 to 45 fish. And then it wasn't uncommon. Yeah. And meanwhile, it's maximum pasture. You know, they probably had trees right near the yeah. near the stream, maybe. But it's just like it, something doesn't add up. You know, I, I just don't understand it. But they didn't have predators. So I, I just try and understand. I'm not really weighing in whether it's good or bad, but just trying to understand it, you know. And I've had some, I've had some 40 fish days. Of course, what, what yeah. we don't talk about is how many of those 40 fish were, you know, less than nine inches. But because mm. yeah. um, most of them were. But, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mentioned it earlier to you. I've, I've had some days where I, I've literally caught over 40 trout in a few hours on small, these small streams. And it's like, it's it's a day from heaven. You're just, like every cast, you're getting a fish. And it's it's great. And so I would go back the next day thinking, I'm going to have two days in a row. And go back to the exact same place, the same time of day, under the same conditions, and you get two or three fish. Yeah. And you're just like, what the heck's going on here? And you don't see a lot of fish. So it's the same place. You know they're there, or I know they're there, but just never know. I don't know if it's the barometric pressure or what's going on. But Some streams, there's one I know of. It's it's so clear, I just think they see you. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't sneak up to it. It's just it's hard. 
It's really mm-hmm. hard to sneak up. <laughs> yeah, being stealthy is a, is a key to trout fishing these small streams. Yeah. Walking, walking, fishing upstream and being stealthy. So what, what's some advice you would give to someone who just wants to get into trout fishing in the mountains? Boy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was lucky because I had my dad to show me places and to show me what to do. I mean, if you can get uh, somebody to kind of, you know, show you the ropes of, you know, what you want to do and where you want to do it. Um, once you get the basics down, um, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly a spinner fisherman. I use four and a half foot ultralight rod and spinners, and I, I use them everywhere. And you can go anywhere once you once you figure out how you want to fish. I mean, a fun thing is exploring different places. Um, I mean, I have like I love fishing places with waterfalls. Um, not always that all that productive, but I just think it's gorgeous and it's just really cool and. I love yeah. like fishing the base of the falls and climbing up and seeing what else is up there. Other people probably don't like that, so you kind of figure out what it is you like. Some some people may like fishing uh, the bigger streams, like the the East Branch, you know, down by Margaretville. It, it's a pretty big stream for me. I'm I'm not a big stream fisherman most of the time. I always would rather fish headwater streams and get brookies. Um, but then again, I also like to catch big fish, and especially later in the year when there's some big fish coming up from the reservoir, it's really a lot of fun to me to catch 20-plus-inch trout in small streams. Um, it's just really cool and exciting. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's not for everybody. Well, I, I guess um, if you uh, interact with a lot of younger fishermen, what kind of uh, techniques would you show them or philosophies would you try and convey to them that you've learned in your experience always walk upstream because you're kind of fisher fisher always in a stream facing the current Mm -hmm. so you're coming from behind them if you're coming down walking downstream you're walking right into them um you know and also the biggest concern of fish their predators come from above that's bald eagles mostly um and so the higher you are, the more fish can see you, more trout can see you. So you don't want to, like, stand on top of a big rock and fish. You want to stand below that rock. Um, you know, don't want to stand on a bridge and fish. Um, right. And often if you're, you know, a little stream that's really clear, you want to squat down a little bit, too, and um, kind of hide behind a, you know, a tree if you can. Just uh, be a little stealthy. And you, you know, you figure it out as you go into stream. Some some places the fish are, um, they just spook a lot easier than other places. And you kind of learn that over time with where you are and how careful you have to be in certain places. Fishing pressure, right? That matters. Yeah. A little yeah. Bit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's one stream near my house. I only go to it when the water's up. I think I don't know what it is, but either they're biting more or it's murky and they can't see me. I don't know, but I have luck then. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, you know, like I said, you, you can be in one place one day and have an awesome day and come back the next day, virtually identical conditions, and just be total, pu- totally puzzled while you get skunked. You know, yeah. it just doesn't seem to make sense, but that's, that's why they call it fishing and not catching. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you have a very memorable fishing trip uh, in mind that you always think back on? You're trying to chase... With all your new uh, fishing outings? 
Um, I don't have too many new places up here because I think I've I've hit them all. But yeah. uh, well, any memorable <laughs> fishing experience? You no, know, I was. Uh, I did have one. It was uh, when I was a kid. So we did a family trip up to Quebec, and um, it's probably eleven or twelve. And we stopped somewhere. There was a scenic overlook or something, and. Uh, my father's talking to these guys next to us who had a camper, and they're talking about this fishing trip. And they opened their cooler. They said, hey, check this out. And they opened their cooler, and it was filled with pike and, I think, walleyes. But then brook trout, like 50 brook trout in this cooler just wow. sprinkled. And I was like, my eyes were just popping out. And uh, I was listening to them talk, and they, they told my father, yeah, we were up in Mistassini, and that's where we caught them. And that... That place always was in my brain, Mistassini, but it was like some magical, um, you know, it was kind of Oz to me. It was, God, that place, it's heaven. It's just covered with fish. And um, years later, about 10 years later, a friend of mine and I, we found the place on the map, and we we just drove. We went on a camping trip, and we were in the quest to catch as many trout as we could. And we didn't know what the hell we were doing or where we were going. Just the last, literally, like, 75 miles was dirt road, these old logging roads in northern Quebec. And we we went to the end of the road, which ended at Lock Mistassini. <laughs> and we camped, and we never caught a trout, but we caught monster northern pike, which I'd never caught before. We were catching 40-inch northern pike. Wow. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And it was all from, like, 10 years earlier, some guy who had a cooler full of trout saying Mistassini and yeah, sent we you went there. and yep. Wow. <laughs> but didn't catch trout. <laughs> Not that day. Yeah, it's cool about little mountain streams too is just the first time you walk up on them, you hear them. You know, yeah. see that first waterfall like you were saying before? Yep. To me, that's the best. Oh, so I agree. As I you agree. walk up to it, you're like, oh, who the hell knows what's going to happen here? You know? It's neat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that you know that's the other thing here is the sounds of streams my my cabin is on Batavia kill and uh when I have the windows open which is not today you hear the stream and it's like such a great sound it's yeah. just so soothing not, nothing like going to sleep here in the here in the stream just running by and you hear it yeah I agree well um that's about all the time we have on tonight's show uh Peter Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Yeah, thank you for taking the time and making the trip up from uh, Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, hopefully you have some good luck fishing while you're here oh, for the week. Yeah. yeah. Well, my trip today was about three miles, so. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, and see you next week. We have Maura O'Connor, the author of Ignition, talk about her book she wrote about fire. So should be cool. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. were flashing and the icy wind did blow the water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow his eyes were red his hopes were dead and the wine was running low and the old man came home from the forest his tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street Stop to stare, but no one's
stopped to speak For his castle was a hallway And the bottle was his friend And the old man stumbled in From the forest Up a dark and dingy staircase The old man made his way His ragged coat around him As upon his cot he lay WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Sam's and Fleischman's. Sam's Country Store Deli and Gas Station. Open every day for groceries, Mexican herbs, local craft beer, and with food to go, sandwiches, tortas, and tacos, and tamales on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sam's on Main Street in Fleischman's. Sam'sCountryStoreNY.com. What the soap... WTS and Company in Wyndham for soaps and skincare products made on site, handcrafted candles, pottery, jewelry, art, and gifts, with a wide selection of books on homesteading, fermentation, and local history. Upcoming events at the WTS Facebook page, WTS and Company in the Red Barn on Main Street in Wyndham and online at whatthesoap.com. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local